This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jennifer J. Kim, who is in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Baylor Scott & White Medical Center in Temple, Texas. The reason for this uh, podcast, and we certainly we're very, very happy to see this article as our lead article, is the publication of the article uh, titled Outcomes of Women Treated with Progestin and Metformin for Atypical Endometrial Hyperplasia and Early Endometrial Cancer, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. So thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us for the podcast. Um, congratulations now on completing your, your last year of residency. So really, it's, uh, it's great to hear that uh, you're almost completing your, your training. And, uh, and again, uh, congratulations of having your article selected as the lead article. Thank you, Dr. Ramirez. It's an honor to be here. So, uh, Jennifer, I wanted to uh, obviously get into the, the details of this study and the implications that it has for, for our field. Um, but I wanted to just start by discussing uh, where we are in the field today as it pertains to conservative management of um, endometrial cancer. What are the standards today? So endometrial cancer is still primarily a disease of peri or postmenopausal women. However, the incidence of type 1 endometrial cancer and its precursor, atypical endometrial hyperplasia, is on the rise in women of reproductive age. Unopposed estrogen exposure, as seen in obesity, is a known risk factor and, of course, is becoming more common. The standard of care is hysterectomy BSO. However, conservative treatment can be considered in a select group of women. For women who specifically desire fertility preservation, guidelines recommend considering fertility sparing therapy for patients with well-differentiated grade one endometrioid adenocarcinoma, disease that's limited to the endometrium, absence of metastatic disease on imaging, as well as no contraindications to medical therapy or pregnancy. In terms of options for conservative management, these include progestin therapy, either oral progestin or intrauterine device. And recent studies have, have they've also examined hysteroscopic resection, aromatase inhibitors, GNRH analogs, oral contraceptive pills, tamoxifen, and of course, metformin. So great, Jennifer. And then, I mean, obviously, as, as we look to have these discussions with our patients, um, you know, obviously, the, 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 the frequent questions that come up, and, and I was wondering if you can just um, provide us with an overview with regards to um, what are the response rates and disease recurrence rates that should be anticipated or discussed for patients with either complex atypical hyperplasia or endometrial cancer with just progestin therapy. And also, I would wonder if uh, if you can add also, what are sort of like the expected uh, life birth rates that we should be discussing with, with our, our patients? Sure. Um, so in meta-analyses that have examined outcomes after primarily progestin-based fertility sparing management, mm -hmm. the figures have ranged from um, we have remission rates of about 48 to 76% for endometrial cancer and 65 to 85% for atypical endometrial hyperplasia. 
relapse rates of about 35 to 40% for endometrial cancer and about 23 to 26% for atypical endometrial hyperplasia. In terms of live birth rates, these have ranged from about 20 to 28% with pregnancy rates of about 32 to 41%. Excellent. So now let's get into a little bit of the, the, the details of, uh, of this concept of uh, adding metformin to progestin. First, can you tell our audience, uh, for those who may not be familiar, what is metformin and why it's used in patients with uh, endometrial cancer? And also, what, what is the mechanism of action when you use it in conjunction with progestins? So metformin is an oral antihyperglycemic agent. It's commonly used in the treatment of type 2 diabetes. It's very well studied, widely used, and given the association between obesity, hyperinsulinemia, and endometrial cancer, investigators have started to look into whether metformin had any positive effects on this disease process. And studies have shown that metformin has anti-proliferative effects on endometrial cancer cell lines. In terms of potential mechanisms of action for metformin, these include indirect and direct effects on endometrial cells. So we know metformin inhibits hepatic gluconeogenesis, um, reducing insulin growth factor one and insulin, both of which are known to promote endometrial cell growth. And this has been suggested to indirectly slow tumor proliferation. Metformin may also have a direct action on tumor cells by activation of AMPK, which has several downstream effects leading to mTOR inhibition, decreased protein synthesis, and tumor suppression um, in endometrial cancer cells via various pathways. There's also inhibition of the PI3K-AKT signaling, which is activated by the P10 mutation, which is often implicated in the pathogenesis of endometrial cancer. And other research has also shown that metformin may modulate expression of steroid receptors, having the effect of decreasing estrogen receptor and increasing progesterone receptor expression. And in this way, Metformin is thought to have a synergistic impact on progesterone's inhibitory effect on endometrial cell proliferation. So fantastic. So obviously then now that gets us to the point of um, why did you uh, perform uh, this study? Obviously a, a big undertaking to do a systematic review of meta-analyses. Um, wh why did you do this uh, study? Yeah, so I personally became very interested in this topic after taking care of a young patient who was diagnosed with atypical endometrial hyperplasia during an infertility workup. Um, and after doing a literature review, I found that a recent Cochrane review in 2017 had looked at a few studies that studied the effects of metformin on endometrial hyperplasia. And one of these studies compared the effects of progestin and metformin combined therapy versus progestin alone. And I saw that additional studies had been performed since then, uh, reflecting a growing interest in the use of metformin for this disease process. And so I wanted to perform an updated, updated systematic review uh, for outcomes of fertility sparing management of atypical endometrial hyperplasia and endometrial cancer 
um, comparing combined versus progestin therapy. Very well. So uh, with that then, um, what were the primary and the secondary objectives of the study? So the primary outcome of the study was disease relapse. The secondary outcomes included disease remission, clinical pregnancy, and live birth rates. And Jennifer, when, when you looked at the, um, at the methodology, obviously you, um, you talk about the study selection. Um, tell us mm -hmm. specifically about that and how did you assess the quality of the studies, because I would imagine there's there's a lot that has been written about progestin, and then actually now recently now uh, obviously the 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 interjection of uh, metformin as well. Right. Yes. So we followed Prisma guidelines for systematic reviews and searched six major databases in April of 2020, and then updated the same search a year later in April of this year prior to submitting the manuscript. Um, in terms of study selection, we included only studies of reproductive age women with a histologically confirmed diagnosis of atypical endometrial hyperplasia or endometrial cancer. Um, and these were women who met criteria for fertility sparing management. And also these studies had comparator groups of women who received combined therapy versus progestin therapy alone. Mm -hmm and reported on at least one of the outcomes that we were interested in. We excluded studies that did not meet the inclusion criteria. For example, if subjects had grade two or worse endometrial cancer, or if uterus sparing therapy was pursued because patients were poor surgical candidates. Some studies were excluded because part of the study population met the inclusion criteria, but patient-level data could not really be distinguished from the part of the study population that did not meet the inclusion criteria. And we decided to include both randomized trials and retrospective studies. For the randomized, the non-randomized studies, we assessed quality using the Newcastle Ottawa scale, uh, using its three criteria of selection, comparability, and outcome assessment. For randomized trials, we assess quality using the Jadad scale, using its criteria of randomization, blinding, and accounting for all patients. Very well. So then now on to the uh, results of the study, and then we're going to uh, draw uh, several other questions uh, as well um, uh, pertaining to some of those specifics. But what, what are some of the things you would like to highlight as the, the main findings of, of the study? Uh, and also, if you can highlight how many patients were in uh, each group. Yes. So for the primary outcome of disease relapse for 241 patients, and this includes 136 patients who received combined therapy and 105 patients who received progestin therapy, we found that the odds of relapse were statistically lower for those who received combined therapy. Um, and the pooled odds ratio was 0.46. For the secondary outcome of disease remission for 607 patients, including 235 who received combined therapy and 372 patients who received progestin therapy, the odds ratio for remission was not statistically different between the two groups. For 89 patients, 45 
who were on combined therapy and 44 who were on progestin therapy. Um, for these 89 patients, the odds of clinical pregnancy were not statistically different. And for live birth rates, there were 160 patients, 71 received combined therapy, 89 received progestin therapy. And the odds of live birth was not statistically significant with an odds ratio of 0.46, although interestingly, it was marginally significant at the 0.1 level. Excellent. So then now, Jennifer, I want to start getting into some of the questions. Some of these questions were actually submitted by the uh, fellows in the journal. And, and this first question comes from Sarah Nasser in, uh, in Germany. Um, and she specifically is asking, uh, why do you think there was a benefit to combine therapy as it pertained to relapse, but not in remission? Uh, what are your thoughts? That's a great question. I was certainly surprised by that. And I think this is something that can hopefully be clarified with future research or at least better understanding of the exact mechanism through which metformin acts on endometrial cells. Um, as we know, conservative, conservative management is not completely effective. And for those who do experience remission, they may develop progesterone resistance, possibly due to downregulation of the progesterone receptor expression. And preclinical studies have shown that metformin mediates upregulation of progesterone receptor expression, uh, which might explain why there's a benefit in disease relapse specifically. Excellent. Now, the, the, the next question actually is from uh, Emma Allison. She's from Australia. And she kind of goes back to your point about the quality assessment of the, of the studies. Um, she asks about what did you find in terms of the quality of these studies? And she's also interested, what were the factors that you consider most important the studies needed to control for in order to be able to rank high on these scales that you mentioned? Right. So for the um, four retrospective studies, um, which were assessed on the Newcastle Ottawa scale, the final quality assessment scores range from seven to eight on a scale of zero to nine points mm -hmm. um, with an average score of 7.25. We considered selection the most important factor. And by selection, this includes one, the representativeness of the um, experimental cohort, two, selection of the control group, three, ascertainment of exposure to the experimental treatment, and four, ensuring that the outcome of interest was not present at the start of the study. Um, for the two randomized trials, which we assessed on the Jadad scale, the scores range from three to four on a scale of zero to five points um, with an average score of 3.5. And among the assessment criteria, we considered randomization the most important factor. Excellent. Um one of the points that often comes up, and I'm sure you saw this in, in, in many of the studies that you went through, is the issue mm -hmm. of obesity or, or the BMI and the impact uh, that it, this might have on response to progestin therapies. And, uh, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about whether BMI was a factor, uh, was it reported in, 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 in these groups, um, and how do you feel that this impacts outcomes? Yes, so the BMI for the combined therapy group was 31.9 mm -hmm. and 27.5 for the 
um, group of women who received progestin therapy only. The included studies, um, they didn't consistently report BMI, uh, so standard deviations could not unfortunately be reported for their statistic. Um, from the available data, however, the BMI of women who received combined therapy was higher uh, than those who received progestin therapy only. Um, I do believe that this may have an impact on outcomes, especially since obesity is a known risk factor for endometrial cancer cell progression, uh, resistance to therapy, and overall poor prognosis. However, it's difficult to say definitively and Hopefully, future studies that control for BMI will shed more light on this. Yeah, and certainly, obviously, uh, at least it's interesting that in the combined group, the BMI was was greater, and there was still a benefit in terms of uh, relapse rates. So, um, very mm-hmm. very interesting finding. Um, now, w- one of the other things also often comes up, and uh, from discussions with patients and amongst ourselves as well, is the duration of treatment and. Um, in the reported adverse events? Mm-hmm. Um, so the duration of treatment was reported by three of the studies, and this did vary considerably, ranging from six months to 18 months or until conception or disease recurrence. Um, for adverse effects, three studies also reported on this, and the most common adverse effects for metformin included nausea, diarrhea, GI distress. The most common adverse effects of progestin therapy were weight gain, abnormal bleeding, and breast pain. Um, importantly, the studies that reported adverse effects also noted that few patients actually discontinued therapy due to the adverse effects. Yeah, that's obviously very important to highlight to to the patients as well in our mm-hmm. in our discussions. Um, then to, to that end also, uh, Ceci Darin from Argentina, she wanted to ask, um, do you have any information on dose reduction uh, of the metformin in patients who experience adverse events? That's a great question. Um, one of the studies did say specifically that the metformin dose and any dose adjustment was left to physician discretion However, not all studies reported on adverse effects of therapy, and of those that did, data on dose reduction um, wasn't reported by any of the studies. Interesting. Um, now, Jennifer, what, what would you say uh, you would recognize as the potential limitations of this study? So some of the main limitations include that, um, well, first, there was a limited number of studies that met the inclusion criteria. And further, many of the studies reported outcomes for both atypical endometrial hyperplasia and endometrial cancer without distinguishing between these two diagnoses. Um, And there were also a number of confounding factors that we were unable to control for. Uh, We mentioned BMI earlier, but also age. And studies did not consistently report on characteristics like race, ethnicity, Mm. parity, or baseline fertility status. And there was significant heterogeneity when it came to the dosage and duration of metformin therapy. (laughs) Yeah, which actually brings me to uh, my next question, because uh, many times... uh, the uh, the listeners will want to know, well, wh- what do I do with my patients uh, tomorrow? And uh, mm-hmm. how do I make the recommendations? So um, what would you r- suggest as to what should be the dose, ideal dose of metformin 
and progestin, which progestin and for how long to use these? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I compounded a bunch of questions there, but I uh, was wondering if you could address some of, some of those items. Yes, um, well, this is a very important question, and this is definitely one of the major limitations of the study. Um, given the variability of the dose and duration of both progestin and metformin therapy cited in the included studies. Um, the doses of metformin that I saw in the studies range from 500 milligrams daily to 2,250 milligrams daily. And some studies actually did not specify the dosage used. And the doses of progestin therapy also varied based on the type of oral progestin selected. Um, only three studies reported on the duration of metformin therapy. Um, in one study, some patients who received combined therapy continued metformin for about 18 months. Other studies reported that uh, patients continued metformin for at least six months if they didn't achieve disease remission or until pregnancy conception or disease recurrence. Yeah. Um, I do think future research should focus on standardizing a therapeutic approach in terms of the dose and duration of treatment. Um, and certainly we um, want to find um, a dose that um, will appropriately have a therapeutic effect, but also um, kind of going back to the adverse effect that we talked about before, something that patients can tolerate. Yeah, very well. Um, Ceci Darin goes back to asking, uh, um, uh, again, uh, another practical question is, would you suggest uh, uh, for every patient now to use metformin along with a progestin, or would you reserve this for patients with uh, higher BMI or patients who have diabetes or hyperlipidemia or even polycystic ovarian syndrome? Right. Um, that's an excellent question. I think based on the available data, I don't think I can definitively recommend the use of metformin for all patients, but I do think it makes sense to utilize metformin um, for women with known hyperinsulinemia in the setting of endometrial cancer or complex hyperplasia. Um, hopefully future research is, um, can clarify this issue. Yeah. Another question that actually is uh, posted from uh, Natalia Rodriguez in uh, Spain um, brings up a topic that is often a topic of, of discussion, um, and that's the issue of the estrogen receptor and progesterone receptor status. Um, does it have an impact on the results of the intervention? Do you think that it might have a different um, impact on the combined progestin-metformin combination? I think this is very important data that was underreported by the studies uh, given the hormonally sensitive nature of endometrial cancer or complex hyperplasia, I suspect ERPR status does have an impact on outcomes in this specific subset of patients, um, consistent with prior studies that have shown pro, uh, poor outcomes and prognosis in patients with lower estrogen progesterone, progesterone receptor expression. Um, only one of the included studies reported on ERPR expression after treatment, um, and they noted minimal difference in expression, but this was a smaller and older study, uh, so I don't think it's representative, and I think further research needs to be done. Yeah, it's kind of a shame that a lot of these studies don't don't actually report this information because 
the question kind of keeps coming up. Um, right. This goes back to, again, another question from Ceci uh, in Argentina. And uh, she yeah. asked, uh, uh, I think it's about the concept of maintenance uh, therapy. Do you believe metformin should be administered after the initial response until pregnancy is achieved in order to reduce the rates of relapse? Um, it's difficult to make recommendations regarding the timing of metformin therapy, but this, I think, is definitely an area of future research that would be helpful for counseling patients in the future um, to determine that optimal window between progestin and metformin therapy and, and the onset of pregnancy. Yeah. And um, uh, Sarah Nasser is asking now with regards to when you evaluated all of these studies, obviously different studies choose different timing for the evaluation mm -hmm. of response. So how do you compare response rates of different studies if they were evaluated at different time points? That's an excellent point. There was um, variety in, in the timing for evaluation uh, of response for the included studies. Given the limited number of studies that met the inclusion criteria, however, we did pull the data from the studies acknowledging this limitation. Um, and again, hopefully this is something that can be overcome with um, research in the future and a larger number of studies. Yeah, and hopefully with more prospective studies as well. Um, now, Jennifer, I want to uh, draw the attention to um, a recent publication um, of a trial Uh, the FEM uh, trial by Andreas Obermeier's uh, group in Australia. Um, can you share with us a little bit about that trial, what it entailed, and, and, and your thoughts on the results? Yes, so this recent study was published earlier this year, was a phase two randomized trial of patients with stage one endometrial cancer or atypical endometrial hyperplasia and the patients received the Mirena IUD, and they were randomized into three groups, an observation group, um, a group that received metformin therapy, they received 500 milligrams BID, um, or a weight loss group. And the primary outcome that they were looking at um, was pathological complete response at the six-month mark. And the results were that the response rate for the, for the observation group was 61%. Um, 67% for the weight loss group and 57% for the metformin group. Mm -hmm. It was a really interesting study. I think that adds a lot to our growing understanding of the role of metformin in the treatment of endometrial cancer. However, it was excluded from our systematic review because some of the study's patients had myometrial invasion Um, of not more than 50% as determined by MRI imaging. Um, and we only wanted to include patients with disease that did not extend beyond the endometrium. Um, after contacting authors, we were unable to distinguish patients with myometrial invasion from those that only had endometrial disease. So the study was unfortunately altogether excluded. But I do think it's a very important study, and I'd be interested to see the results of a similar study Um, on a U.S.-based population. Excellent. So, Jennifer, I've, I've really uh, enjoyed speaking with you about this study, and I want to be respectful of your time. So I'll come to the last question. Um, this is a, a frequent question that I ask the authors. Um, 
Have the results of this study impacted how you counsel uh, patients? Uh, thinking back to that patient that inspired you to uh, to do this study, um, how you know how do, how should we treat patients uh, moving forward with this information? I think further research is necessary before metformin is recommended for all reproductive age women seeking fertility sparing treatment for atypical endometrial hyperplasia or endometrial cancer. However, I do think there's a subset of patients for whom metformin is a beneficial adjunctive therapy to progestin therapy. And I think um, the preliminary, our preliminary understanding of the research currently is, is really encouraging. Um, and so I, you know, this is definitely something that I would love to continue researching in the future. And hopefully um, we can kind of further delineate the role of metformin for these patients. Fantastic. Jennifer Che Kim, thank you so, so much for your time. I've really learned a great deal. Uh, again, congratulations on this uh, manuscript and uh, certainly best, best of luck on your uh, upcoming uh, future academic career. Thank you, Dr. Ramirez. It was a pleasure speaking with you today.